Well, good morning, friends. Good to see you all this morning. Still missing seeing you all at home, but thanks for your faithfulness to continue to join with us as we look to Matthew 7 and continue our series entitled At the Feet of Jesus, where we consider the Sermon on the Mount together. So I, I love the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. You're probably familiar with it, but if you're not, it's the, it's the story of, of a, a young person, Christian, uh, coming to faith in Christ and, and being led from the city of destruction all the way to the celestial city. It's, it's, it's not a short story. It's, it's a long story. And it, it tracks him through many dangers and toils and snares along the way. And it tracks his battles that he had. Battles with Satan. Battles with despair. Battles with the flesh. Truth be told, it's, it's an excellent kind of narrative of what it looks like to be a Christian. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I heard some evangelistic pleas, we will say. Some, some folks calling for a response to the gospel that somehow seemed to miss the difficulties of the Christian life. Somehow that was not a part of what was talked about. Made it sound like kind of, hey, believe in Jesus and then poof, you'll be in heaven. Or at least poof, life will become more heaven-like. Believe in Jesus. Pray the prayer. And that's, that's all there is to it. Then there will be joy and all will be easy and life will be great. And you know, I think that kind of description of the Christian life can be kind of discouraging to those of us who are trying to live it. Like, what is wrong with me? Am I even saved? Because that's not the life I'm experiencing as I seek to follow Christ. As we look to Matthew 7 this morning, we're going to see that Jesus' description of the Christian journey is far more realistic than what I was just talking about and maps quite well onto the pilgrim's progress and a long, dangerous journey that it is. I think this morning it's going to serve as kind of a helpful roadmap, a little bit of a, you are here. Okay, good, that's good to know. And this is where you're going. And that's encouraging as well. So let's look together, just a few verses in Matthew 7. We begin in verse 12 and go down to verse 14 together. God's Word. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace and your spirit to be at work now, illuminating your word and our hearts and applying this to each of us as we give attention to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look at this in two points this morning. And the first is enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Verse 13 begins... 
enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount here. If you, if you kind of see where you are in your Bible, we're towards the end of chapter 7. He's been preaching since the beginning of chapter 5, and, and he's doing what many preachers do, which is beginning to turn towards application now. And so he begins by, by saying, so, in verse 12, and begins to call for an application in the hearts of his hearers and of the readers of this passage. But as he gets to 13, his application is repentance. His application is a call to discipleship. It's a call to the narrow way, not the wide way. He wants his hearers not just to have heard all these words of Jesus and walk away feeling good. He's pressing home the, the requirement, the, re, the reality that they respond to him. He talks about these two different ways. He says that the way to destruction is wide. It is a wide gate. It's easy to get through. It's easy to find. You can't miss it. It is the wide road. And it is an easy way. It's not a difficult way to walk. It feels right. It's natural. It's comfortable. It's easy to find. It's easy on the feet. And so it's a well, well-traveled road. Many there are who are on that road. And this he then contrasts to the narrow way. The, the narrow gate is difficult to find because it is narrow. It is sparsely traveled. Few there are who find it. And it is a hard way. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Now, now this, is a, this is a worldview kind of passage for us Christians. This is a worldview-forming passage, and, and we need that because the other six and a half days of the week are worldviews being challenged and shifted at and pushed in another direction. So we need to align our thinking with the Word of God because it would be very easy for us to look at this and think, yeah, but aren't there more than just two ways in this world? You've got the way of atheism, and you've got the way of Islam. And you've got the way of Hinduism. And you've got the way of Buddhism. You've got all of these different ways. And I just picked a handful of a, of a few of the thousands of different ways. And yet Christ declares that there's fundamentally only two. One narrow way of the pilgrim following Christ that leads to life. And then this broad way leading, leading to destruction. So when we consider the variety of alternatives in the world, the variety of religions in the world and atheism as a kind of non-religion religion, as we consider all of those different paths, we have to see that Christ is he's lumping all of those together onto the same broad way. Many different paths on the same broad way. Many different paths that are aiming for different things, but they might be aiming for different things, but they're all heading in the same direction. Because he says that Broadway leads to destruction. And so Christ is, is calling all who hear this to place their faith in him above all other things and instead of all other things. But I think it's too easy for us as 
Christians to come into church on a Sunday and talk about how other religions have it wrong. I think we need to move a little bit closer to home when we talk about how narrow is the way. Because there are, of course, those who are Christians in name only. Those who think they're Christians because they're born in America, if anybody still thinks that, that's amazing. But when I was a kid, that's how it tended to be. You know, based on you're born in this country or your parents are Christians. So your parents are Christians, so therefore it's a Christian home, so therefore I must be a Christian too. And, and, and you grow up in that and you're thinking that and if that's you, friend, the gate is far more narrow than that. Far more narrow than just being born in the right country, born in the right family, even attending a church. Then you have those who claim to be Christians, who believe something about the Bible, and they basically just believe, hey, you know, at the end of the day, I think God's going to be merciful to me. My good works are going to outweigh my bad works. I'm doing the best that I can. That is a very well-trodden way. That is, that is, a, that, that is one of the most well-trodden. That, that, that way is called legalism. Where we attempt to prove our righteousness to God and earn something from God. And that way is part of the broad way, and many there are who walk in. And then we have those who, who are Christians, who perhaps they believe that Jesus died for sinners. They may have prayed a prayer once when they were younger. They had some kind of experience. They had some kind of a, an emotional high. They went on a retreat in a church service whatever it was, decades ago. Perhaps they were even baptized. But they moved on from that moment with not an ounce of change in their lives. Without godliness, without any reference to Christ, without any forsaking of sin, without any pressing in to God. And yet they believe that they will be saved by their faith. And put faith in quotations, because what we're talking about here is not a picture of faith. Not a picture of saving faith, at least. We may call that false faith. Oh, friends, how narrow is the way that there is even a false faith that would lead you down the broad way. How do you know the difference between a false faith and a saving faith? between a faith that will do nothing to deliver you from destruction and a faith that will bring you on that road of life to God. What exactly is saving faith and how can we distinguish it from false faith? I want to answer that question in, in one phrase and it's this. Examine the fruit. Examine the fruit of faith. So, Think of true faith, of saving faith, of justifying faith. The fruit of that faith one day is going to be salvation in the presence of God forever. It means new life forever. That's some good fruit right there. That's the ultimate fruit right there. Right? That, that faith is like a living seed that gets planted in the ground and one day what a harvest is going to grow. But the thing is, we can't see that harvest yet. So it's like, how, how do you know? 
if that's the faith that you buried in the ground, if, if you've got that kind of seed, well, here's the thing. That seed is a living seed. And it produces fruit. It even produces fruit now. Yes, it produces fruit in eternity, in salvation, but it also begins to produce fruit now. And that's different than false faith. Because a false faith is dead. It is a dead seed. And it will be powerless to save you on the last day. It will not accomplish what you're hoping it will accomplish. And today, it's powerless too. A false faith is powerless to make you love God more each day. A false faith is powerless to help you pursue godliness, to help you forsake sin, to help you become more Christ-like, to help you walk through life's difficulties. A false faith is dead now, and it will be dead then. But a faith which delivers you unto life is alive today. And it is capable and able of producing fruit in your life today. The fruit of a desire to fight sin. I'm not talking about perfection, dear saints. I'm talking about the fruit of a desire to fight sin. Of a willingness to flee from temptation. Of a desire to grow in godliness. Of a longing to, to love Christ more. That's the fruit of living faith. The fruit of saving faith. But if, if, if you have not that faith, what will you do? Heed the words of Christ where he says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the... Look to Christ. Call out to him. Say, I have not what I need. I don't have the kind of faith. Would you grant me what I need? Give me what I need. Look to him to be saved and you will be saved. Look to him for faith and he will give you faith. This kind of living faith is not born up out of the heart of, of a dead sinner. It's given by gifts of God, so look to him. If I've, if I've scared you into saying, wow, maybe I don't have the real thing, then glory to God, because that's good to know. <laughs> that's good to know. And then look to him. Don't look to yourself. Look to yourself is the broad way. Look to him. He's the narrow way. He will give you the faith that you need. So, friend, examine the fruit to know that you're on the narrow way. Examine the fruit. Now, I want to say, examine the fruit. Don't examine the feelings. Alright? Examine the fruit of life. That is, changed life, changed affections, desire for God over time, growth in godliness over time. Not examine the feelings. There is there are many a saint weighed down by their feelings. Under a load of, of guilt. Under a load of doubt. Under a load of despair. Under a load of depression. Do you know what that is in this journey? Normal. That's what that is in this journey. I'm not trying to say that's where we're trying to go. Thing is part of the journey. Didn't he just say the road is hard? How do you think that's going to feel? That's going to mess with your feelings as the road is hard. 
you know, even in Pilgrim's Progress, back to that book, right? Pilgrim, Christian, got waylaid into this castle where he was thrown into a dungeon. The castle was called Doubting Castle. Many, many a saint that I've talked to, many who are listening right now, who perpetually return to a kind of doubting castle, doubting their salvation, doubting that they could possibly be saved based on how, how they are feeling. He's locked up in this doubting castle and he's, he's kept under guard by a giant named Despair. This wicked brute of a giant with this long club who comes in daily to beat Christians. And there are those who are listening to me who know exactly how that feels. Who know exactly what it's like to just feel beaten down day after day after day. Christian, Christians wrestle with despair and with doubt and with depression. And that is why, friend, the scriptures call us to examine our fruit, not to examine our feelings, because feelings change and feelings lie and your feelings are subject to how much sleep you got last night and to what you ate for breakfast this morning and your feelings are subject to the chemistry of your mind, whether it's going right or going wrong. All these things impact how we feel. Feelings are a downright terrible gauge to your walk with the Lord. They are utterly untrustworthy, which is why the scriptures never once, never once, call us to examine our feelings to figure out where we are with God. They call us to examine our fruit. So look, look to the fruit and endure with the feelings. And, and friend, if, if I've been talking to you in all this, just say, you're not alone. Bunyan put that in his book, what, 300 years ago. This is what it's like. To be a Christian. The way is hard, okay? The way is hard. Oh, and Christ put it in here a little more than 300 years ago as well, telling us exactly what this would be like. Listen, if, if, that's, if, you, if you wrestle with depression, if you wrestle with doubt, just encourage, I'm going to encourage you to do something really hard, and that is just don't wrestle alone. Don't wrestle alone. Find a, find a friend here amongst those in the church. Talk to your servant leader. Talk, talk to one of us. Talk to one of the pastors. We would love to walk with you. Sort of hold your hand in the dark, as it were, in that dungeon. Okay. So talk about the narrow gate. And we've identified that this is a unique gate from all others and we enter by it. We enter to it through saving faith. Through real Genuine faith. Okay, so number one, enter by the narrow gate. Number two, endure in the narrow way. Endure in the narrow way. So we are called to both. We are called to both entering by the narrow gate and then enduring in the way, like Christian on that long journey, that dangerous journey, enduring throughout that journey until he got to the celestial city. We are called to endurance. So, four things I want to consider here for enduring in the narrow way. First, friend, know that the way is hard. Know that the way is 
hard. This is why it requires endurance. Easy ways don't require endurance. You just get on your toboggan and go downhill. Pretty easy, right? The hard way requires endurance. It requires redoubling your faith, looking afresh each day to God, crying out to Him. So, I say this to say, set your expectations. Young people, set your expectations. Old people, you too. Whoever that is. Set your expectations. I think we're all kind of foolish in this sense. We wake up every morning expecting life to be easy, and then we're surprised when it's not. How's not he said to us, this will be hard. So let's set our expectations so we're not knocked off our feet when it comes along. I'm not talking about going all the way to pessimism. This is just realism. This is what he said it's going to be like. We should expect that it's going to be like this. Are you amazed that you that you got depressed? Are you stunned that it's so hard to kill sin? Are you set back in shock that growth comes with such difficulty in the Christian life? Friend, take comfort where you are. Christ knew exactly where you, he, where you would be. He told you about it in advance. Is it hard? Then you're in the right place. Is it hard? Then you're on the right road. Is it, is it hard? Then, then you're exactly where he said you would be. So friends, let's, number one, understand that the way is hard, that we could set our expectations. Understand the way is hard. Number two, understand the way is the way is love. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, the, the path that the saint trod is one of learning to love others. This is what it looks like to walk through. What does it look like to be a Christian walking through? It looks like loving self less and loving others more. This is, this is what it looks This is, in fact, the fruit we've been talking about. Remember how saving faith produces fruit right now? Well, what kind of fruit? Loving others kind of fruit. That's what it produces. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is, of course, as I'm sure you know, the golden rule, right? That we are called to do to others whatever we would wish, whatever we would desire, they do to us. So this is not, notice what it does not say, it does not say, do to others as they do to you. All right? That is not the golden rule, friend. All right? that, is, that is the world's rule. Do to others as they do to you. And maybe a little bit more so they don't do it again. Right? That's the way of the world where our focus is on how am I being, being treated? Am I being respected? Am I being acknowledged? Am, am, am I being considered? And the saint is to be considering others. Eyes not on the self, but eyes upon others. Considering not how are they treating me, but rather how am I treating them. This is the way of love. This is the path that Christ has called us to walk down. Now notice it says that by doing this, this is the law and the prophets. That's a big thing to say. Just do this, and that's the law and the prophets. 
Just treat others as you would want to be treated. Love others, and that's the whole of the law and the problem. How is that? Because as I remember, the law had something to do with loving God as well. Something to do with worshiping God. The prophets were always calling God's people back to a true worship of Him. But, but here's, here's the reality. This is why Jesus says this. It's because if you're loving God, then that love for God will be expressed in loving others. That's what love for God looks like on planet Earth. Love for God looks like something. It doesn't just look like somebody, you know, in, in their quiet place with the Lord. They'll go to your quiet place with the Lord. But that's not what it looks like. What does it look like? It looks like loving others. Love of God in action is loving others. This is where the love of God is seen and made known and is active and is working and is growing as we love others. This is what endurance on the narrow way looks like. Just, I want to be super clear. I'm not saying love others so that you can be saved. What I'm saying is, love others because you are saved. This is what we're called to. This is what saving faith does. This is what it produces. This is what it looks like to walk and endure in a narrow way. So understand that the way is hard. Understand that the way is love. Number three, friend, understand that the way is ending. The way is ending. Praise God for that. As we talk about how difficult the road is, it is good to remember that the road does not go on forever. That there is an end point to this narrow and difficult road that Jesus is talking about. The road may be hard, but it is temporary. And the road leads to life. That's where it leads to. That's where it's going. So friend, you're, you're going to be on this road for as long as the Lord has you. It's a, it's a difficult road. It's, it's a hard road. But at some point, that journey will end. And unless the Lord returns, that end point is death. Right? That's when... And we know that death is an enemy. Death is, death, death is the final enemy. And yet, the end point of the road isn't death. That's not what it says. It says that the road leads to life. That's where the road leads. So the road leads through death, yes, but through life. That's where the road is going, friends. The road is going to eternal joy in the presence of God, to satisfaction and joy and delight in His presence. There is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Blessed are the saints who have died in the Lord who are resting from their work. So, friends, keep your eyes up ahead on the road. Isn't it easy to just look at the next problem? Or the problem that we're in the middle of, the difficulty that we're in right now? It's so easy for that to, to dominate our thinking, to capture our attention. And yet, even Jesus himself, when he headed for the cross, wasn't just looking at the cross. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's what he did, right? He saw the joy on the other side and said, that's where I'm going. Friends, look up and see the joy ahead. That's where you're going. That's where this road is leading. See, the, 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 the Christian life is not this kind of 
road of despair, this road of hope. This is a hope-filled road. It's a difficult road. It's a hope-filled road as we look to where Christ is taking us. Okay, understand. We talk about endurance. Understand the way of heart. Understand the way of love. Understand the way of ending. And number four, understand that the way is accompanied. It is accompanied. That is to say, you're not alone on the road. So it would be wrong of me as a preacher to tell you that the road would be easy when Jesus said the road would be hard. It would be wrong of me to overlook, to to proclaim to you that you need to enter by the narrow gate and you need to endure on the narrow way because you're called to both. But it would also be wrong of me to leave you with the impression that therefore it's sort of all up to you and you've got to figure this out And, you know, one day in heaven you'll see Jesus, and until then, get busy. That is simply not the case. You are not alone, child of God. You are not alone on this journey. Never once, not for one step, not in one trial, not for one difficulty. He will never leave you to your own strength on this road. And so for this, I just want to take you to the end of the book of Matthew. The last recorded words of Jesus in the same book that we're looking at right now, where he just says this. Words which should echo in our hearts. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christian, hear the voice of your Lord. I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes, you have need of endurance, but he will help you endure. Yes, the road is difficult, but the Lord is strong. Yes, there will be suffering, but he will bring you comfort. Yes, there will be difficulties, but he will be there beside you. Yes, there will be times when you feel, remember that word? There will be times that you feel alone, but you will never once, never once, Never once be alone. Because I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. And friends, his words are trustworthy. His words are true. You can cling to this. You can hold to this. He will be your shield. He will be your comforter. His rod and his staff will comfort you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We're going to close in prayer here. Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your great and very precious promise that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you are with us to the end of the age. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I pray that you would kindle fresh faith and fresh hope in the hearts of your people. That even as we look with realistic eyes at the road ahead, we wouldn't be consumed by that. We would walk with you. You would walk with us.
you would help us to keep looking up and lifting our eyes to that eternal city to where you are leading us and calling us home. Strengthen your people, we pray, O Lord, even as we worship you now. Amen.